This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. Hey, it's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Hey, on today's show, Clinton Body Shop owner and aviation enthusiast John Mosley tells us the incredible tale of how one airplane helped bring a World War II hero story back from the lost pages of history. Hey, hear how a Vicksburg native and naval aviator, Guy Brown, lived, served, fought, and died, and then faded into time, and how a purchase of and restoration of a rare World War II bomber brought him back to life. It's an amazing story that will help kick off any Veterans Day celebration. Hey, if you have an amazing World War II memory, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be right back after the news. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Home Advisor, matching homeowners with background checked professionals for a variety of home projects, from minor repairs to major remodels. Homeowners can read reviews, compare prices, and book appointments online at homeadvisor.com. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Gorgeous Monday out there. Of course, it feels like summertime, even though leaves are turning. Hey, look, you know, Veterans Day is coming up later this week. And what a better way to celebrate than with an amazing World War II story. This is a story that I stumbled across, I guess, later in last summer. Um, thanks to Dan Fordyce and, of course, our guest today, John Mosley. Um, they literally helped bring a story back to life. You know, the thing, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm a big history fan. I've always loved history, and I've always loved World War II just as a kid, you know, running around, you know, fighting the Germans or doing whatever. And, you know, as I've gotten to know some of the veterans and, and gotten to know people whose mom and dads, you know, served in one degree or the other, particularly their dads, and, you know, you always wonder what happened with the people who got killed and, and their stories because there was, you know, so many people survived, like Jimmy Stewart, for instance. We know who Jimmy Stewart is. He ended up, uh, was a bomber pilot and was very heroic. Uh, he survived. And guess what? We got to enjoy his movies for all those years. But you always wonder what would have happened if somebody had not died uh, or somebody who did die. What would they become? Would they have cured cancer? Would they have done whatever? And so that's what's so amazing about this story because um, this is a story about a guy named Guy Brown. And we're going to talk in depth a little bit about his life, because to be honest with you, uh, when he died, his, he was an only child. His mom and dad died, and his story was lost basically to time. And so John um, is going to tell his story about literally how he helped bring that story back. And it's a very wonderful story and one that I've also done a video on uh, that will be posted on the Clarion Ledger's website on Wednesday as well, uh, because, you know, I do conversations here for MPB, but I also do a little bit of video here and there also. And uh, this was an incredible story that, uh, frankly, 
ought to be a movie because it's just that good. And so you're going for a good show today. And of course, a lot of things going on right now. It's hard to believe it's almost Thanksgiving and it feels almost like 4th of July outside. It does. I know. It does. But you know what? Um, This Mississippi. Oh, it'll, be, Mississippi. Yeah, say, it'll be It's supposed to be like 60 for a high later this week. Yes. So. And I'm looking forward to that. I love seasonal states. I like to feel the snow on Christmas morning. I love that. Have you ever seen snow on Christmas morning? Seriously. Um, no. One time. Once. What, I, I where were you I in Detroit, right? Remember. You were in Detroit, weren't you? You weren't here. I was here, but um, um, I do love that. You know, I don't like 80, 90 degree weather on Christmas morning. I, don't I, like it. It. I mean, I have to admit, I'm getting soft, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't like 80, 90 degree weather anymore anyway. No. I, I don't, I, now, if you had been Sharita, mm-hmm. who used to, of course, sit in that chair, mm-hmm. I uh, hate to bring up old people, but, you know, Sharita. Sharita would have complained. Likes, yeah, oh, no, she's too cold. Yeah, if it's if it's anything under 100, she's, like, complaining about how cold it is. So. I heard the heater stayed on in her office in her area. But, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, if you you know she's going to be on Kevin Hart's show. Yes, of course. Yeah, she, of she's course. famous. Yeah, so we'll have to make sure uh, we watch that. And it's November it, 24th. It'll be airing on Comedy Central. Uh, they showcased uh, Mississippi. You. you already know the time. <laughs> yeah. I watched the show. It's going to, I mean, I didn't watch the one with her, but mm-hmm. I watched one with other comedians mm-hmm. it's gonna be really good yeah he showcased mississippi comedians and uh of course I'm she's so one of the of best she I'm is one so of the best of her. She, i've watched her grow up exactly yeah. no, she, she's gonna do great and uh-huh. uh, that's gonna be so much fun um yeah, it's a busy weekend. You had a big basketball game this weekend. I, well, we had a basketball game uh, Thursday, their first oh, game, Sawell Cougars, well, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And the boys, like I said, I mentioned earlier, the boys were undefeated last year. And so coming into a new year with that, you know, on their backs, I oh, yeah. said, I hope they don't feel that much pressure. But they came out, the girls and the boys won last Thursday. Um, they played like, I mean, a to me, they play like a high school team. The boys do, especially. Yeah. The girls are a new team learning each other, but they did so well. They won. We won by a lot. And today is our second home game. I'm excited. We're playing um, our people's middle school, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure we'll come home with a win. Isn't that cool? It that's, is. that's the coolest feeling. I, over the weekend, uh, my middle son, who's 14, he's a freshman, uh, got to run in the state cross-country championship. And I was really proud of him, Maeve, for not only making the team that was going to go run, but he did very well, and he got a side stitch about two miles into it. And I don't know if you remember having side stitches in elementary school. <laughs> They're not much fun. It's like somebody sticking a screwdriver in your ribs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he could have probably slowed down and everything else. No, he kicked it in at that point, and he beat like six people at the, the end. And he... He was, you know, he didn't win it. I mean, he's a freshman, but he was like, out of all the freshmen that ran, he was the he was number six. But so you know, I was, I was good at that. and his uh, time was. Let's put it this way: his time was about eleven minutes faster than I can run a five k. Wow, that's how fast. And that's is. good. Like I said, you know, Olympic bound. You don't want to put that much pressure on. Oh him, yeah, but... because you know what, the genes are really going to help that boy. You know. So, well, you know what, I can tell you mother. this: I'm not a, a sports type person. I sit and I play the music for the home games at her school. I'm the PTA president, so I'm there and I'm rooting Jordan on, and I'm like, hands up, get in front of your uh, person. I'm screaming, but I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just, but you know, it, the little bit of things I know about basketball. Basketball. I just want her to have fun, stay focused, and win. But you know what? When she's old like us, you know what she's going to remember? <laughs> what? She can remember I was you were there. there. Exactly. You were there. 
you know, I mean, this weekend, this week, I've got to go over to Atlanta and help close up my parents' house. Mm. Um, that's been a very long process for my family, but we're finally getting it. We've got a buyer. Oh, I think. that's good. My sister tried to just call me. I hope she's not saying oh, that Lord. they backed out. But um, we're about to get the house sold. We've had to clean it out. Mom and dad, they had a 3,500-square-foot house that they filled up with stuff. And, and so we're, I'm going to go back. Basically, it's going to be the last time I ever see where I grew up. Oh. And uh, it's going to be very touching. But, you know, very tough, too. But... And a lot of people right now are nodding because the, everybody goes through this at one mm-hmm. point in their life. They know what it's like when their mom and dad dies in their well, home. I don't. Yeah. God, yeah. Well, yeah, about to say, yet, but. I'm about to say, I just saw your dad walking around the hallway the other day, so <laughs> he's okay. Yeah. But it's it's a tough it's a tough transition. But, you know, I mean, I'm going to walk through that house, and I'm going to think of the good memories. And just like that, I can tell you every time my dad was there, mm. just like you were there for your daughter. Mm-hmm. So, good mom. Good the mom. memories, the memories. And, of course, you got all your Christmas shopping done, right? No. I'll put that in there to talk about that. Uh, a lot of people don't go out for Black Friday. Some people do. I'm not the one to go out on the Black Friday weekend and get into all of the uh, hum- humbug. I do not like it. I just hate people. Yeah, <laughs> I like people, mm-hmm. but I like shopping and taking my time. And I don't like a lot of people around me. So I decided this year to shop early. So I shopped a little bit last month. Mm-hmm. Yay, exactly. Oh, look at you. And I have a few more things to get. I'm trying to be more proactive and get my list together and just get everything out the way. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I've, I've discovered that, and I believe in shopping local, Don't before yeah. anybody hits me on this, but I do like the fact that there is a nice man in a brown truck that will bring a box right to my door <laughs> that keeps me from having to go out and go into the shop because I am the prototypical male shopper. I literally plan it like a military mission. I know exactly what I'm going to get. I know how much I'm going to pay. I know when we're going to get it. I know what time I'm going to go there. I know when there's not going to be many people there, and I go and I get it. Not I'm, like I'm not, not like a, us women. No, no uh, I'm not a browser. You know, my my boyfriend says that a lot. He said, "I don't go." I said, "How come you don't shop with me?" Because when I go in the store, baby, I go in and get what I want, and I come out. Yeah. You go and you buy everything you see. You oh, we need that. Oh, we need that. We don't need that. Don't buy it. But you know, I say oh. we might need it later. Or <laughs> it's shopping therapy. You got to get the you got to get the dopamine going. You know, I mean, and it's that. fun. I, I don't know about you guys. That's Ugh. what makes us different. But it is so relaxing. Yeah, if you just said, look oh, at John my, shaking his head. His, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, pulling my fingernails is fun too. You know, no, 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 no. It shopping is so fun. much fun. No. But I love it. But um, yeah, we do have some good uh, Thanksgiving shows coming up. We have some interesting shows coming up. The rest of the this month, yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited about the fall season. I'm excited about Christmas. This is my time of the I year. I love Christmas. I am mm-hmm. a Christmas guy. I really am. I am a big Thanksgiving guy, too. Yeah. Well, holidays, you, period. Well, From October to the New Year, I'm happy. Right. Other than the eating part, I mean, I think Thanksgiving should be every day, because if I ate like that every day, I, you wouldn't be able to fit me in the <laughs> oh, studio. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I think... Um, Sometimes I think we all lack the thankfulness gene yeah. uh, because, you know, you hear people all the time. They complain about the craziest things and they get. So, and, and I'll be honest with you, if you watch the news over the weekend, um, you know, we had that really tragic shooting in Texas, which yeah. that's one of those, you know, when it happens in a church, you know, that hits you at an even a deeper level and uh, very tough. I know exactly where that town is. It's not very big. I used to live in near Houston. So, I mean, we go over towards San Antonio and I know about where that town is and. I mean, that's one of those things that's going to totally toughen and, and hurt that community because mm-hmm. that's one of the, everybody. There's 700 people in that community, mm-hmm. and they all know somebody that was in that church. Mm-hmm. But also, too, and I heard one lady on the radio today. She said that shooter came in to to break us, and he failed mm-hmm. because he's going to drive us closer together. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, that's the kind of resilience you want to hear. But still, I was sitting there listening to the first responders, the sheriff, this morning, and I'm thinking. 
those poor guys are going to need some help. They're going I mean, yeah. to need some therapy because that's, that's just a little bit too much for a person to have to deal with. And I'm, that's why, you know, of course, Veterans Day is coming up and first responders is a little different there. But still, people that will throw themselves into hell, mm-hmm. you know, to protect us, you know. And, and so that's why I've always had deep respect for first responders. I think 9-11 was one of those moments that woke a lot of us up, realizing, yes. oh, there's people that run into burning buildings to save us. Yes. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm here I am selfish, and they're doing that. But um, Veterans Day also has a real deep meaning to me. And it's not, you know, I mean, it's not even, it's above politics. It's above the fact that I, what I do for a living is I have this right to draw cartoons and get on the radio and do television and do all these neat things that I do. And because of the sacrifices of people that have the courage and the, and the patriotism to throw on a uniform and get out there and write blank checks to our country, I got the right to do what I want to do. Right. Man, I'm talking about grateful. And so Veterans Day for me, you know, the 11th hour, the 11th day, of course, that was from World War One. That's right. where it came from. But anybody who's put on a uniform um, and served honorably, obviously, uh, that's a big difference, a big, big deal for me. Uh, personally, my dad served. I'm uh, very proud of that fact. My he, father did too. Did he really? What he's he in the Navy. Navy. He was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Was yes. he out at sea? Was he a sea? Uh, yeah, he was out in sea. He actually, I was almost not born. <laughs> he said he almost. Oh, uh, do tell. Yeah, he almost fell off the ship um, before. What? Um, my sister I have a three. My sister is three years older than uh, I am, and Shoot he him said, in, yeah, he almost fell off the ship, and uh, he said, "You were meant to be here." Because wow. you were meant to be here. Well, on you, like, when you're having bad days, seriously, do you ever think about that? Oh, my God. My dad told me has told me so many stories of me almost not being here. My, actually, my mother had a miscarriage before me, yeah. and they said that that was a boy. And if it was a boy, that, that was enough, a girl and a boy. So she had a miscarriage. Here I am today. He almost fell off the ship. Here I am today. And they actually brought me home in a Christmas stocking. I was born December 19th, and he still has that Christmas stocking. And um, I tear up every time I think about it, but he still has it, and I can't believe I fit in a Christmas stocking. <laughs> well, you would still fit in a Christmas stocking. It just would be a size 13 Christmas stocking, a little bit. But um, I, I don't mean like, you know what I mean. So, I'm I digging, my, digging myself out of this mess yeah, here real quick. You yeah, can't. Same story here. Um, mm-hmm. There was... I'm lucky to be here too because there was one that was that my mom lost one between mm. my sister and I, and so I mean I'm very grateful. And I was born on the 21st, uh, yeah. So I was brought home on Christmas, and of course my sister's like, "What's Santa going to bring Marshall?" Exactly. And so my dad's like at the liquor store buying a shot glass for me because <laughs> nothing else is open. So I think I may have gotten a shot glass on my first birthday. But wow. When my first birthday was first Christmas. I mean, so that's neat. Yeah, that's neat. Well, you know, and like I mentioned before, this story about that John's about to tell us, and, and John's a great, I always love talking to John, but uh, John's an aviation enthusiast, and of course he, he helps a lot of people, and you probably even saw him because he ran for insurance commissioner, yeah, so yeah. He's, he's famous. And But this story is very powerful, and it's one that I've been looking forward to sharing with you, so we'll do that. How about that in the next section? I can't wait. And, you mm-hmm. know, our question of the day is this. Um, if you have World War II memories, uh, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. I don't have any World War II memories because me I'm only 49 years old. <laughs> However, um, my grandparents uh, told me some incredible stories. Right, and, and if you so, have a story yeah, yeah. out there, you About might a family not, member exactly. or something like that. Exactly. Give us a call and let us know if you have some memorabilia at home or anything. Just we, give us a call. We would love to hear from mm-hmm. you. So anyway, John's going to be on just a second. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. It's a great way to start the week. I appreciate you listening and being part of the show. And, of course, being part of the show is what we want you to be. We want you to give us a call. And we have a really good question today. Do you have any amazing World War II memories? It could be a family member. It could be you, you know, because there still are a few World War II veterans out there. God bless you. And we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Uh, our guest today is John Mosley, and you've probably heard that name, Clinton Body Shop. Uh, but you also, he ran for insurance commissioner and, of course, is a very, very active guy in the community as well. John, it's good to see you. And I have, before you get too deep into getting started, I have to tell a story on you. Uh, recently, of course, we're doing the video that will be out on Wednesday pertaining to this topic. And so we needed some shots of the airplane flying. So I got the chance to go up in the airplane, which was, you know, bucket list stuff, getting to fly in a World War II aircraft. And I was filming and everything. But before we went up, we went and had a big lunch. And we had a big lunch at a Mexican restaurant. So I'm sitting there flying around, bopping around in that plane in turbulence thinking, I don't want to throw up in this nice man's airplane. I don't want to throw up. But I didn't. And so I was very proud on that. John, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Marshall, and I appreciate you not throwing up in it also. <laughs> I kind of figured you'd be grateful about that. So. Yes, sir. Thank you. It is good. Um, well, first, let's, I guess, just talk about yourself a little bit because, um, number one, I mean, you've got a fascinating career just on the body shop side, uh, but how did you get interested in the airplanes, too? You know, I don't really know how to answer that from the time I was a kid. I was always fascinated with flight, with airplanes, and when I graduated from high school, uh I was already painting cars for a living. Uh, I went to work at Hearing Gear Chevrolet the day after I graduated high school. Well, how did you decide one day, well, I'm going to go paint cars? Is well, it- my dad my dad was a body man, so okay. I'd been around it all my life. And from there were six boys and one girl in our family. And from the time we were young kids, they would bring a car home and say, when you boys get out of school tomorrow, I want it water sanded down. Don't miss a rock pit. We didn't have sanders and all. Everything was done by hand. Oh, wow. And he would say, have that car water sanded and ready so I can take it back to the shop tomorrow and uh, get it painted. So we just did our part to kind of, you know, help help the family and and, uh, and help my dad, and through that process, learned how to I learned how to paint. I was interested in painting early on, and learned how to paint. And in my junior and senior year, I could paint cars in the summertime at, at uh, my dad's shop that he had down in Crystal Springs, Mississippi, and and uh, made enough money to pay my way through and bought a car and and was was making good money. So I wanted to take flying lessons. I went out to Hawkins Field and. I had nine hours in, was just about ready to solo, and I had another passion, also motorcycles, and I managed to get in a in a wreck with one of those and was hit by three cars. Oh, wow. So I spent a little time in the hospital, and when I when I got out of the hospital and got to walking again, uh, I met my, uh, who became my wife, and uh, as Carolyn and I got married, you know, I didn't have the money to fly, so I guess from uh, 1971 to 1992, I didn't fly anymore, and then in 92, uh, things had got stable, and Karen, my daughter was up in the uh, junior in high school, and they got the opportunity to go to Europe on a senior trip. And I was taking them to New Orleans in a Suburban we had that I still have. And uh, I was driving pretty fast to get them down to New Orleans to catch their flight. And my next-door neighbor said, you know, as fast as you like to drive, you ought to learn to fly. And I said, that's a good idea. But on the way home, I went straight back to Hawkins Field. I didn't go to the shop. I went to Hawkins Field. 
and I walked in, and the same lady and gentleman uh, ran the flight school there. And I went You're in. Back. Yeah, she uh, she remembered me, and she hooked me right up. I took my first lesson before I went home from work that day, and uh, and I've just been flying ever since. You could have gotten to New Orleans a lot quicker. That's right. I could have. Couldn't care as many people. But <laughs> well, that's a good then. point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely. So you 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 fell in love with planes. Um, you know, I when I was a kid, I mean, I loved planes too, and I used to draw them all the time. But I never, for some reason, I never ended up flying them and never ended up doing that. Did you buy a plane right away? I bought my first, I joined a flying club first. Okay. And uh, So you share a plane at I, that point. I did. I, yeah. was, I was sharing an airplane. In fact, it's, uh, it's funny how this aviation thing has all came full circle with me because the guy that was the secretary for the flying club was Kerry Salters. Oh, yeah. And as you know, my buddy Dan Fordyce, Dan flies the P-51 Mustang, Charlotte's Chariot, that commemorates Kerry Salter's service mm-hmm. in World War II. And uh, I had no idea, didn't even know Dan back then, had no idea all this would, would come out like it did. But but anyhow, I was a member of a flying club. Uh, I just decided I wanted to have my own airplane, so I bought a Cessna 182. And I never really satisfied, you know, my, my desire for flight. I, I always kept going back looking at the military airplanes, and especially the big war birds. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it what it is that pulls me to them, but I liked them. And uh, that led to me eventually buying the TBM Avenger that the, we restored. Right, the TBM Avenger. And tell everybody what a TBM Avenger is. Uh, the aircraft we have is a 1945 Grumman TBM Avenger. It's a torpedo bomber. Uh, about the time that the Navy knew that we were going to be entering World War II, they knew that we 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 were flying the SBD Dauntless uh, mm-hmm. torpedo bomber, and they knew we needed something with more of a payload and a longer range and more speed. And Grumman was commissioned to design this airplane, so Leroy Grumman designed the TBM Avengers. Now, historically, Grumman has always named his aircraft after felines. You know, you got the Wildcat, the Tigercat, the Hellcat, the Cougars, the Tigers. Everything uh, has is goes back to a feline, but when he got ready to name the TBM Avengers, he said, "We're not going to name the we're going to name these aircraft Avengers because we're going to avenge the deaths of Pearl Harbor." So the first six they were TBF Avengers. Then those are the TBFs were made by Grumman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first six TBFs were delivered just in time to go to Midway, and as you know, at the Battle of Midway, we lost five of those. So only one one Avenger survived the Battle of Midway, but but they still became the the backbone of the Navy. They were iconic. They sure were. And, and there happened to be a certain George Herbert Walker Bush that flew one of those. That's right. That's the airplane that uh, President Bush was shot down in. It was a TBM Avenger. Uh, as as Grumman started making these airplanes and they were so popular, they knew they couldn't make them fast enough. So General Motors stepped up. They converted one of their plants in, into an aircraft factory. And they started making them, so that's why the Grumman's were TBFs, and the the General Motors version was TBM. So most of them are so TBMs. Most of them are TBMs. Yeah. There was a little over twelve hundred TBFs and over eight thousand uh, TBMs. Well, how did you find this particular one? Because it was it was not a whole airplane when you when you found it. Well, it was a it was a complete airplane, but yeah. it was in it was in hundreds of pieces. Yeah. Uh, a buddy of mine, Scott Glover, owns Mid America Flight Museum over in Mount Pleasant, Texas. And he had actually bought this airplane from the Evergreen Aviation Museum two or three years ago, uh, or two or three years before I bought it from him. And when he bought it, it was a complete airplane, but it hadn't flown in several years. It was on display right under the wings of the Spruce Goose. Which is the uh, Howard Hughes' Howard aircraft. Howard Hughes' yeah. aircraft, that's right. And uh, 
so Scott, the Evergreen Aviation Museum decided they had to sell some airplanes, raise some money, and the TBM was one of the aircraft that they sold. Scott bought it and had a crew go up to, to Evergreen and disassemble the airplane and take it back to Mount Pleasant, Texas on 18-wheelers. So he got it back. He sent the motor, the prop, and the carburetor out for an overhaul, and he got those back, and it was, so everything was ready to start putting back together. But, you know, he's got over 50 airplanes, got a museum. And uh, they, most of them fly, too. Uh, yeah. it, everything in his museum it flies, flies yeah. or is being ready to fly. So, anyhow, I, I had been looking for an Avenger. I was fascinated by him. I wanted a TBM Avenger. I, I had uh, tried to buy a couple. That didn't work out. The only two nice ones were for sale in Australia. And I was actually looking at one of those, but it just wasn't going to work. Trying it's hard to, to fly one back from uh, Australia. Well, and, and all the paperwork and everything, yeah. I, I wasn't getting much help from the broker, so I backed out of that. And Scott just called me out of the blue, and he said, I'm going to solve a problem for, for you and for me. And uh, he said, I'm going to sell you my TBM Avenger because I don't want to see it sitting here in pieces ready to go back together, and I know you'll get it together and do it right and get it flying, and when you do, uh, you keep it from now on if you want to, or if you get tired of it, then I'll buy it back and let you make a profit. So it was a deal I couldn't turn down. I, I had to, you know, access to the airplane I really wanted, and and I had a way out if I decided I was in too deep. <laughs> exactly. That's that's a perfect perfect deal. You, you you mentioned Dan and his plane and how he painted it after somebody from Mississippi. When when y'all buy these warplanes, you'd like to have a Mississippi connection to them, don't you? Yeah, we do, and I think that's true in just about every state. You know, everybody, you know, yeah. you know feels their good to have a story that's right well this one you kind of contacted you kind of reached out and you're like well we need to find somebody from mississippi who flew the tbm adventure is that where this story started that's where it started i called dan fordyce and said look you know i'm, I'm painting an airplane from front to back top to bottom inside and out and i would like to do something special with it i want to commemorate someone's service and if possible somebody from mississippi and dan told me he said you know I don't know of any TBM Avenger pilots from Mississippi. And he but, was from Vicksburg. Yeah, and he, yeah. you know, Dan's from Vicksburg, Mississippi, but, and he's quite the, you know, World War II historian. He's right. On, he's on the, uh, you know, the board with the World War II Museum in Vicksburg and, and of course, Warrior Bonfire Program that he does so much with mm-hmm. uh, for veterans and, uh, and, and active military. But Dan was my go-to guy, and when he told me he didn't know anybody, he said, call a guy named John Purvis up in Bentonia. John may know someone. So I called John. And uh, told him what I was doing. He said, you know, there was a guy named Guy McAdore Brown from Vicksburg, Mississippi, that I heard was an Avenger pilot. But we never we tried to get information one time, and we just came to dead ends. So I called Dan back and, and was telling him what John told me. And Dan said, well, let me see what I can find out. He said, I just never heard of anybody from Vicksburg, and I think I would know that I would have that connection. But he went home and he told his wife, and as it turns out, Aunt Claire is uh, really into genealogy and research and stuff like that. And she started researching, and, and daggum, she didn't put together a book on Guy McAdore Brown Jr. And I'll be honest with you, I never imagined that this was going to turn into what it did. I, you know, I thought we would just find a TBM Avenger pilot. I didn't think we would find a World War II hero that time had left behind, but that's what we did. Now, tell everybody real quick why time left them behind, because I think that's a really important part of the story. Well, when Guy McAdore died. Brown, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Guy McAdore Brown Jr., uh, like I say, he was born and raised in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Uh, in his high school years, he was a member of the Pierian Society, uh, Latin Society. He, he was uh, he was he smart, good-looking, and athletic. That's right. He yeah. was a track star, the football coach, a tennis champion. So he had it all going on. And when when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, he did what so many hundreds of thousands of young Americans did. 
he went and joined the military and he wanted to be a pilot. Yeah. And he, he became a TBM Avenger pilot. Uh, he had quite a career. He, he wound up, he was awarded two gold distinguished flying crosses for heroic actions. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you a little story real quick. Well, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll tell a little bit about his World War II service because okay. he really honestly was a hero. He sure was. In every sense of the word. So John Mosley's with us right now. We're talking about the incredible story of the life of Guy Brown. He's a World War II aviator and hero, and you're going to find out a little bit more about him in just a minute. And also, too, if you have a World War II memory and like to give us a call, we'd like to hear from you. 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. sustaining member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Veterans Day is coming up. Gosh, it's hard to believe it. It's going to be coming up the end of this week. And uh, we're kind of a Veterans Day themed show today because this is a story that happened right here in Mississippi. We had a hero that went off to fight and became a hero. He actually was very heroic and, of course, lost his life and was lost to history. And John Mosley, as you may have heard in the last segment, bought an airplane and wanted to tell a story. And so by getting it painted by like somebody from Mississippi, and he did, and I tell you what, this what you're about to hear is incredible. And also, too, if you'd like to jump in and tell us an amazing World War II memory, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Uh, I'm going to probably head to Europe next year. I'm looking forward to it, taking the family. have been saving up for years and looking forward to it. I don't know if we're going to get to Normandy or not, but someday I want to get there because my two great uncles were there during Normandy. Uh, one was on a hospital ship, and the other actually cleaned the beach up after uh, D-Day. And so neither one of them would talk about that for the rest of their lives, and it was so horrific what they saw. And, you know, there's a lot of memories like that that we remember from people that we've loved that have that have fought in the war and just came back with, you know, all kinds. Of, but, you know, they, they did amazing things. They built this country and the country that we get to enjoy today. They were all the, not the greatest, called the greatest generation for nothing. Well, John, you were talking about how you, you came up with this name. And even Dan, who lived in Vicksburg, and I'd like to think Dan knows everybody on the planet because he tends to – he tends to know everybody on the planet. He didn't even know who Guy Brown was. And so suddenly his wife gets to digging, and we find out this guy's really an incredible guy. That's right. He was. and uh, No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, Guy was, of course, he's known for the, his last flight. But before that flight, he had another mission uh, earlier in the same year that the squadron he was in was, was flying off the USS Bunker Hill at that time. It was before he was transferred to the Shangri-La. But Guy was flying off the Bunker Hill, and they had a mission to go out and, and bomb this harbor. As they started getting inland close to the harbor, there was a low cloud cover, a heavy cloud cover. And other guys were saying, we got to knock it off. we got to return to the carrier. And Guy Brown said, I'm going down to see where we break out. 
And uh, he goes down through that cloud deck, and he breaks out 100 feet above the ocean surface. Oh, wow. But but he has that harbor and his target in sight, the ship that he's supposed to, to destroy. So guy makes a run at the ship, but nothing's happening because his bombardier's having a problem with the bomb controls. Uh, the bomb, after they pass over the target, the bombardier tells guy that he wasn't able to deploy the bombs, but he said, if you can make another run, I think I have it worked out. We can do it now. Well, meanwhile, his plane is getting shot up pretty bad, but Guy Brown being the guy he was, uh, he goes in, makes the turn, comes back, makes another run. They drop the bomb. He saw that the uh, bombs uh, hit close enough to the ship that he knew that he had inflicted damage on the ship, so he pulled up into the cloud layer again trying to get get safety from all the fire that he was receiving and uh, start trying to head back the 100 miles over the open water back to his carrier and, and like I say, get back out to sea. Well, the the bombardier comes on the radio and tells Guy that they've got a lot of damage to the tail of the airplane. Guy was already well aware that he was having a hard time controlling it, and he, he tells his crew that he's aware that they're going to have to ditch, that uh, he's also taking a heavy hit to the engine, the, that his windscreen's covered with oil. But he's flying the airplane as far as he can, uh, you know, to try to close that distance. So he don't get carrier. captured. Yeah. yeah, so he could get rescued but and, and, and to avoid capture. So as he's uh, setting up his glide and everything, he, he glides out 15 miles from the from the shore, closing that gap for that 100 miles. He's, he does a, a nice water landing. The bombardier wasn't belted in at the time, and he received a pretty good back injury. But Guy was able to get out on the wing, get his life raft out, get it get it uh, aired up and everything, and, and get his crew out of the airplane. And the three of them then floated for several hours. Well, the, the closest ship to Guy Brown was the was the uh, USS Burns. And if you look on Wikipedia to see what the USS Burns is famous for, it just it'll tell you that after rescuing three downed aviators that that it took on a battle with three Japanese ships that lasted a little over thirty minutes and, and the Burns was victorious. It sank all three of them. But how they got to that point was Guy Brown had got rescued and the skipper had told Guy he could rest in his quarters and according to the diary, a uh, guy had just laid down, and he, and he hears all this commotion out in the hall, and he goes out to hear the skipper being told that that uh, there's three Japanese vessels closing in on them, and and, uh, and they're asking for what to do. He said, "Do we retreat full speed?" And the answer was, "Hell no, let's fight. We've been we've been waiting for a fight like this our whole career." So they take on those three Japanese vessels and they sink them, and now the USS Burns goes down in history for the the fastest. Uh, sinking of three ships in naval history, and that still hadn't been beat today. And that wouldn't have happened if Guy Brown didn't have the courage and the backbone to go down through those clouds and uh, and see what he could do. And then even make that second run after his plane was already beat up pretty bad. Uh, no, he wasn't going to make it back to the ship. And it took a lot of guts to do that. Yeah, he could have said, oh, well, you know, we tried. That's We're right. Gone. So he, he received a gold flying cross for that event. And, uh, of course, that he he was later transferred to the USS Shangri-La, and you know through research with our with our ship historian, the Shangri-La historian, we found out there was another gunner uh, from Mississippi on mm-hmm. another ship. So we contacted his family. He had died a year before we started looking uh, for information, but his daughter is Becky Mobley from down at Lumberton, Mississippi. And she's still alive and well. Her dad had passed away, but I talked to Becky, and she said, "You know, the uh, the pilot of the plane that my dad was on is still alive and well over in Mountain Home, Arkansas. A guy named Dean Boyers. So I contacted Dean, and I'm I'm telling you, it's just fate. But as it turns out, 
Guy Brown flew number 96. Dean Boyers flew number 95 oh, in, wow. in, in the same unit. And so was his wingman. Yeah, he was yeah. his wingman, and, and they were best buddies and everything. And he told us stories about Guy Brown. He, you know, he said he was the best-looking guy in the unit, always got the best-looking gal. He could drink us all under the table, stayed out late. And so he was always a prankster. So he would, he would come in late at night after we'd all got back at the ship at 11 o'clock. He'd come in at 2 in the morning and run down through the barracks dumping guys out of their bunks while they were sleeping. And said so he would run to the end of the hall and, and go through the door and – there's only a handrail there, and it's 12 feet down to the next deck. So guy would uh, would hop over that, land on that 12-foot deck below him and stand there and laugh at the guys because they weren't going to jump over that rail. That, that goes back to his track running and all of his uh, athletic stuff in high school. But, so he, so not only, I mean, not only was he, I mean, he was a hero, but he was a prankster, and he was a fun-loving guy, too. He was. He was just a good old American boy that was, yeah. you know, having a lot of fun, but at the same time risking his life every day for his country. And I think that's a lot of people forget about that. Of course, we, you know, today we have young men and women over in Afghanistan and Iraq and the Middle East and in all parts of the globe that are the same age. But I mean, you're talking 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old quote-unquote kids but they had the responsibility of flying aircraft off of a deck and bombing harbors. And I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I can't even imagine that at 49. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I can't either. Uh, Dean Boyers, you know, told us stories about it, but, uh, I guess the morning that guy died, Dean had been on a separate mission Yeah, and he told us that he talked to the, uh, to the gentleman that was guys wingman that day. And he, he described it. He said it, they were, they had a mission to go out. Guy's mission was to sink the Haruna yeah. and and bomb Cure Harbor at the same time. So they, they were loaded. Which was with, a major naval base in Japan. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, this was in the last couple of weeks of the war. So, you know, the, the U.S. Navy was trying to show Japan we're superior to you. We're going to take your Navy out. You'll have no more defenses. You know, you need to surrender now. So he was part of that last big push uh, to show how much damage we could inflict. And when he went out that morning, uh, he was loaded with those 1,200-pound bombs. He did make his run. He dropped his bombs, was successful. And, of course, pulling back up somewhere between 5,000 and 8,000 foot, his, uh, the report reads is that his plane was hit with heavy anti-aircraft artillery. And uh, the gentleman flying next to him said that when he looked, he saw a flash. And when he looked over, the plane was gone. And he tilted his wing to look down. And he saw the front half of the airplane spiraling down into the ocean. And the back half of it was completely gone, so he knew that there was no survivors. So. It's um, it's hard to imagine what his parents went through because obviously they were very proud of him, and and they'd been keeping track. And we'll talk about that in just a second, keeping track of his his um, service. But to get that visit that every military family dreads, and to become a gold star family, it, it really took a toll on his parents, didn't it? It did, and that's that's uh, evident by the fact that. Less than five years after Guy died, his his dad died. Ten days after his dad died, his mother died. So you could safely say they were heartbroken. Yes, sir. So they're, and they're buried in Vicksburg. They're all buried in Vicksburg, and in between the two of them, there's a plaque there that in memory of Guy Brown. Yeah, because he's in the Pacific Ocean yeah. somewhere. Gosh, right. unbelievably powerful. So at that point, I would say it was pretty safe to say that he pretty much faded into history. He did. In fact, uh, it when we found out where he lived by looking at those neighbor reports, 3300 Drummond Avenue in Vicksburg, I called Dan, you know, and was talking to him about it. And he said, you know, that's right in my neighborhood where I grew up. And I've spent a lot of time on Drummond and I never knew or heard of Guy Brown. So my wife and I were just riding around one Sunday afternoon. And I said, let's ride by 
Guy Brown's house and just see what the house looks like. And, and uh, we rode by, and the gentleman that lived there was actually in the front yard. He was turning his back to walk in the front door. So I pulled over, and uh, I'm never afraid to go up and talk to somebody. So I went up, knocked on the door, and he comes out, and I told him who I was. I asked him, did he, did he know Guy Brown? And he, and he didn't, and we started telling him what we were doing and all. And this guy got this real solemn look on his face, and he said, I tell you what, I want you all to come in. I want to show you something. So he takes uh, my wife and I and, and a guy who had came down, Mike Rawson, uh, to help me put the Avenger back together. He takes the three of us in his house and, and down in his basement, and there's a tongue and groove wood wall there uh, where a, a ringer washing machine had once stood. Mm-hmm. And in heavy pencil, uh, someone was putting, they didn't say guy, they said he enlisted today, then had a date. He's stationed here, he's stationed there. Uh, he completed his, uh, you know, Naval Air Academy, uh, stationed on the USS Bunker Hill, uh, moved to the Shangri La. And it has several other entries, but the last one was killed in action. He didn't say missing, but uh, killed in action July 28, 1945. And, but he had and no that, clue what that was. No, he didn't know what it was. He knew yeah. that he, he had a feeling that it, it was, was somebody, obviously, in that family that was, uh, they were keeping their service record. He had no idea that, that, as it turns out, it was Guy Brown's mother keeping a diary of Guy's travels and then, of course, his death. God, can you imagine the yeah. heartbreak? that she had when she was writing that last entry. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, it was heartbreaking just to stand there and read it and think about yeah. standing, you know, her standing there all those years ago making that entry. So it was kind of funny that, you know, you and Dan basically told the guy, hey, we're going to we're gonna take your wall. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was <laughs> that, Dan. That was Dan. Yeah, I could see Dan coming and say, oh, sorry, man, we're going to cut your wall yeah, out he, here. He goes over to look at it, and he tells the guy, he said, uh, he said well, unfortunately, i got to have your wall there. <laughs> So we, uh, we're, it's like, who is this guy? I, yeah, we'll have some guys come over and build a build another one there, and I'm gonna put a plaque that says exactly what said what it says there. Yeah, and uh, saying that you know this piece of the wall will be will be permanently uh, in exhibit at the Southern Heritage Aviation Museum at Tallulah Bixburg Airport, and uh, and and the owner was gracious enough to allow Dan to do that. So now that section of that wall is in a glass display over at the Southern Heritage Aviation Museum, along with a Guy Brown uh, exhibit there. I, I remember reading the wall. I got to see the wall when we were there in July yeah. when Dean Boyers came in, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, a little bit about his. That guy, Dean Boyers, he's a character in his own right. That's right. Uh, but, I mean, I just I just felt her pain on that. And then, like you said, five five years later, they were gone. Um, that's just amazing that that you've been able to bring him back to life. Well, well, not know, back to life. His story, back to life. That's right. It's it's just to me, it's sad that somebody did everything he did. You know, he was always he always answered the call from the beginning of the war to the almost the very yep. end. Nobody asked him to go join. He went and joined because he felt like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And just like the mission going down through the clouds when everybody else was wanting to give up, Guy Brown didn't give up. Yep. You know, he went down. He made the run. Uh, he gave his life that morning. There's nobody to tell his story, so we yeah. feel like we need to tell it. Well, definitely. We're going to tell a little bit more of that story in just a second with John Mosley. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. 
You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Of course, we do have a question of the day. Any World War II memories you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Now, last July, uh, Dan threw a birthday party for Guy Brown. He's 100, 100 years old. And, of course, that was kind of the, the debut of your plane at that point, too, coming in. And you had a very special passenger in, in the plane for the first time in, I guess, 70 years he got to fly in one. That's right. We uh, When we got to know Dean Boyers, the other pilot, the pilot of yeah. number 95, we found out that Dean was, uh, he was turning 95 years old, 96 years old uh, in June. His, his and Guy's birthday were only a few days apart. Yeah. So Dan had already set the weekend up that we wanted to commemorate the aircraft over at the at the museum there at Tallulah Vicksburg. And we were going to do it as a, as a birthday party for Guy Brown. But since Dean's birthday was so close, we decided to make it a Dean Boyer's Guy, Bur- Guy Brown birthday party. And we went over to Mountain Home and picked Dean up and flew him back over to Tallulah Vicksburg for the party. Of course, we went over in a, in a Paul Barnett has a King Air, and Paul was gracious enough to uh, fly me over and, and pick up Dean and his son, Todd, and brought them back over for the party. And I got to tell you, probably the most one of the most memorable parts of ever, of this whole story is when we got off that King Air that day and Dean Boyers was walking past the open doors of, of Dan's museum, he could see the Avenger backed up in there with the wings folded, and he said, may I go in there and look at the airplane? And, uh, of course, we told him, sure. So we walk up to the airplane, and uh, he, he's starting to get a determined, you know, look. you could tell the determination in his walk because he was using a, a, a walking cane and all. But he, he gets up to the airplane, and we kind of just stood back, and he walks up with his back to us, and I'll never forget him standing there holding the prop uh, for a couple of minutes and, uh, then he says, you you have no idea what's the, the things that are running through my mind right now. When he turned around, he had big old tears rolling down wow. his cheeks. And he wanted to know if he, could, if he could get up on the wing and look in the cockpit. And so we told him, sure, we got a ladder and, and uh, helped him, you know, get up on the wing. And, and then he wanted to sit in the cockpit. And, of course, that, you know, we, he was up for anything he wanted to do. We, we would let him do it. So he got in the cockpit. And Dean is losing his vision due to muscular degeneration. He can't see forward, but he can use his peripheral vision. So he sat there with his hands, feeling all the controls and everything on the instrument panel. He'd turn his head at different angles, you know, where he could actually see what he was what he was feeling. And it was amazing that he still knew where everything was. He sat there and told us uh, the stories about launching off the off the carriers and and uh, coming back in and what you had to do and. Uh, he, he just he didn't forget anything. He just he still had it. But just to see all those memories coming back to him, and through his research, we found out that uh, the guy the guy that who was the bombardier on this airplane it was a guy named Harry Wynn, William Harry Wynn. Mm-hmm. We we can't find anything out about William Harry Wynn. He was Guy Brown's bombardier, and Dean knew him. But Dean said he he knew he was from a small family. He didn't know he didn't have any contacts for him. And William Harry Wynn was from Los Angeles, California. We've researched the Internet. If anybody out there is hearing this and you can find out anything about William Harry Wynn from Los Angeles, killed July 28, 1945, we'd love to hear it. We have a Facebook page for the Avengers, TBM Avenger-91726 on Facebook. So you could contact us, and we'd love to talk to his family members if he still has any. But we, we did find out that 
Charles E. Smith, uh, found out he, his nickname was Buck Smith. He was the turret gunner, and he still has a nephew that's alive and well, uh, a gentleman named David Smith, who's actually an FBI agent in San Francisco, California. And through our, interception, our inter, Internet research, David reached out to us and, and said, why are you researching uh, Guy Brown? And when we told him, he let us know that his uncle, uh, Buck Smith, died that morning with Guy Brown, and we invited him to come to the to the birthday party and the ceremony for the airplane, so he did. And while Dean's in the airplane, David actually drives up. He had he had rented a car and drove over from uh, his flight in Dallas, and he he drives up and walks in the hangar. And it was kind of neat for both of those guys just to come together at the same time. And I got to tell you, David, he's a big old healthy guy, but he wanted to know if he could get up in the airplane and sit in the in the gun turret where his uncle sat and uh, served and everything and eventually died. And, of course, we said, sure. And it took a little doing to get him in there because he is a big guy. But he got up in there, and he sat, and he looked around, and, and then he just sobbed, you know. And to to see that, it just, you know, it's it's real emotional to uh, to think about what these guys are going through, thinking about their loved ones that he never got to meet his uncle, but he knows her, his mother was mighty proud of him. Yeah, just seeing Dean get out, because you actually did, he did fly in the plane when you did the flyover and everything, and you landed and folded the wings up, and he got out of the plane, and it it shaved 70 years off that man's life. He looked like Tom Cruise and Top Gun walking in there. You, you two, I've got a great picture of you two walking out of the plane. I was going to say, when he got out, uh, he still had the walking stick in his hand, but if you notice, boy, he was stepping across that, that tarmac. He it was like he was years younger, for sure. And all this happened because you decided to buy an airplane. Yes, sir. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, it almost seemed like it was just destiny. You know, I mean, that's, that may be a little weird to say that, but just so many things have happened, and it's came together in such a tight little circle that it just seemed like it was meant to be. It's just, you know, everything Guy Brown done was, was too big. And those other two guys, uh, yeah. you know, Buck Smith and Harry Wynn also, uh, they just they all died that morning fighting for our country, and somebody needs to be able to tell their story and, and uh, everybody appreciate them. Well, we see that number of how many people died in World War II or died in Korea or died in Vietnam or died, in, and you've got to understand every one of those numbers has a story like that. That's right. That's why Guy's story is so important. That's exactly right. And you're you're currently flying the plane around to air shows. You were just down in New Orleans, and you're so you're telling that story still, aren't you? We're sure trying hard. We took it to Oshkosh, and... Uh, the difference with us and a lot of the airplanes, we actually have a, a little display board that has a picture of the plane and tells the story, the you know, yeah. the plane's final mission and pictures of the three guys because we want everybody to, you know, to meet the guys more than the airplane. Right. But we want everybody to know the part the airplane's played because, you know, in New Orleans, I actually met four different old guys that were either pilots or crew members on Avengers, uh, three in World War II and one in Korea, and they're all quick to tell you that, the Pacific wouldn't have turned out like it did if it hadn't been for those Avengers. They weren't the fastest planes out there. They were the largest single-engine combat aircraft, and the credited with being the most deadly uh, because of the number of ships that they sank. And uh, and that's that's every time they talk, they got so much enthusiasm for the airplane and the crews. And of course, now after flying it, then I share that. 
John, I appreciate you taking the time to come and join us today. And of course, there will be a video if you'd like to find out a little bit more and actually see what Guy Brown looks like. You can also go to your page, which you mentioned. Uh, go ahead and give the Facebook page one more time. Facebook page is TBM Avenger 91726. Nine, okay, the number part would throw me off, but we got that. And also, too, there will be a video that John and I and Dan, uh, we worked on that will be on the Clearing Ledger website on Wednesday, too, as well. And I'm going to write my column about it this week because I think the story is that great. And it was one that I wanted to make sure we shared. Well, we appreciate you doing that, Marshall, because, like I say, the more people that can find out about, you know, the lives of these three young men and yeah. eventually the deaths of them, then the better. You're just glad I didn't throw up in your airplane. I know the That's truth. That's exactly right. Exactly <laughs> as well. John, thank you so much. I want to thank, of course, John, and also want to thank Michelle McAdoo, who's amazing for producing this show. It's a production of MPB Think Radio. And, of course, if you want to hear it, you can go to mpbonline.org. Now you're talking, and it's there, and you can listen to it again. Hey, coming up next is Southern Remedy. This is Now You're Talking, and we will be back next Monday. Y'all have a great week.